morning, God's Word comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John 1, we'll be reading just the first 14 verses of this chapter that's found uh, in our worship folder, or if you have your Bibles with you, you may turn there at this time. John 1, <clears throat> beginning at verse 1, we hear now is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here we in the reading of God's holy word. Also printed in your worship folder is Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 13. This morning we're going to look just at question and answer 33. I'll read those for you at this time. Why is he called God's only begotten son when we are also God's children? The answer, because Christ alone is the eternal natural Son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God, adopted by grace through Christ. Well, we continue our look at the second person of the Trinity. Uh, we have seen that his name was Jesus. Why was he called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because he saves us from our sins. Jesus came to save us. We looked last time at his title. He is also called Christ, meaning anointed. Because he has been anointed as our chief prophet and teacher, our only high priest and our eternal king, the threefold office of Christ. And we saw that if we bear the name Christian, we share then in that anointing. Today, we look at his relationship to God the Father and our relationship to God the Father. He is God's only begotten Son. 
Jesus Christ is distinct. Jesus Christ is unique in his sonship. Our text says, verse 14, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The only Son. But kids, I read earlier, I said a couple times, we too are God's children. We too are sons and daughters. Why does John say here he's the only son? You have to recognize that while Christ has a distinct and unique sonship, we also, through him, are children of God as well. This morning, we look at God's Son and God's children. First of all, the distinct nature of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Our confession asks, why is he called God's only begotten Son, and we are also God's children? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. Those two attributes. He is the eternal Son of God. He was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, shares eternality with his Father, the only eternal Son. We have various uh, birth narratives given to us in the Gospels. In the Gospel of uh, Luke, we go back to his forerunner uh, of Jesus Christ, John. In the Gospel of Mark, he takes us back to Isaiah for the coming of Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, we go back to Abraham with the genealogies. In the Gospel of John, we go back for Jesus' birth narrative beyond history. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. Jesus has always been God's Son. Now, we know that there was a particular point in time when he was incarnate, when he took on flesh, that's verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But Jesus did not become God's son at that point. He has eternality. He has always been the son of God. Eternal, just like his father. Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God. Read in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through him. Now, we talked a couple weeks ago about God the Father. And we often connect the Father with the work of creation. God the Father speaks, and creation comes into being. But we're reminded here that God the Father speaks the Word. God creates. The Father creates through the instrumentality of His Son, Jesus Christ, the Word of God. He is co-equal. He is co-eternal. He is the only one, the only Son, who has this unique Sonship, which speaks of His greatness. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Jesus Christ, the natural 
Son of God. Again, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God's natural Son, therefore sharing in God's nature. God's attributes. This Father shares His attributes with the Son. Jesus Christ, as I said, co-equal, co-eternal. Jesus Christ, who is the natural Son of God. We read in verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ is that light which gives life. God is often described as light. God is light, in Him there's no darkness at all. Jesus Christ, light. Light in whom we receive life. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus comes and shines light into a dark world. A dark world that in many ways would reject him, would refuse to see the light he brought, but he brings that light into the world. John, we read, was not the light. So there's a difference. John's not the light. He bears witness to the light. But Jesus was the light, the light that comes into the world, the one who gives us light, the one who comes to us in the darkness, in the darkness of our fallenness, in the darkness of our sin. Without his light, we would remain in darkness. But in his love and mercy, God the Father sends the Son, his eternal Son, his natural Son, to come and bear light in our lives, that we might have life. And God continues to do that. He continues through the preaching of the gospel, through the declaration of the finished work of Jesus Christ, to bring light, to bring life into darkness, into death. And by the power of Jesus Christ, raises us to new life in Him. If you don't know that life, if you don't know that light, then this morning, put your trust in Jesus Christ, sent from the Father, the only eternal, the only natural, the only one who could do the job, the only one who could save. Put your faith in Him. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, grace sufficient to save each and every one of his own. Jesus Christ, God's Son, the only eternal Son, the only natural Son. In what way is our sonship like his sonship? Well, some would say, look, we too are sons of God, just a little bit less than Jesus is. We, we share all those things, but not quite as much as he has. No, Jesus' sonship is distinct. Jesus' sonship is unique. Our sonship is of a different type. I really want to think about three ways this morning in which our sonship, uh, uh, how we are God's children. First, we are not natural, but we are adopted children. Adopted, but think about that. Adopted children of God. Adopted to be in his family. When we have children, 
whether we have them uh, naturally, whether we have them by adoption, we always wonder, how will they grow up? What will they, what will they look like when they get older? And I don't know about you, but you know, when our kids are little, you picture them. You picture them as being just perfectly obedient. You know, son of mine, would you please take the garbage out? Why, father, I would be delighted to remove the trash from the receptacle. You know, we picture our kids just, just being really, really good. God adopted us knowing what we would be like. He adopted us full well knowing we would be stubborn children. We would be willful children. Again and again, we would reject His ways. And he still chose to adopt us. Oh, the glorious love of God. That in spite of knowing who we are, who we would be, God adopted us as sons and daughters. When we say we are not natural but adopted, that doesn't lessen God's love for us. I think it highlights God's love for us. In spite of knowing what we would become, God knew our fallen, sinful nature, and still, still He chose to make us His children. We are not natural children, but adopted children. We are not children by birth. We are children by rebirth. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born not of blood, but of God. Born not of the will of the flesh, but of God. Not children by birth, but children by rebirth those in whom God's Spirit was acting. To take the finished work of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit apply that work that we might have now light in dark hearts, that we might see Jesus Christ for who He is, that we might embrace Him as Lord and Savior and know the love of God the Father. Not by physical descent. Oh, in the Old Testament, there were descendants of Abraham who were physically a part of the people of God. But they demonstrated by their acts they were far from him, far from his ways. Now we are spiritual children of God. I know that that sometimes is misquoted nowadays being spiritual children. We are children by the power of the Spirit. Not by birth, but by rebirth. Verse 13 who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Not born of the will of the flesh, not born of the will of man, but born of God. He came to us. We did not will to become God's children. We did not will to follow after Him. Our wills are fallen, they are darkened until the Holy Spirit enlightens us. No, He came to us born not of the will of a man, but born by the will of God, 
who has chosen each and every one of his own. Our natural tendency is to hate God and our neighbor. God comes to us. He overpowers us with his spirit. And we are brought as children, sons and daughters, not by birth, but by rebirth. And we are not simply friends, but we are family. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children! Not friends of the family. The family. We are in the family of God. It's wonderful to have friends in high places. I used to have friends who are powerful. When I was growing up uh, in Linden, Washington, uh, at the beginning of every summer, there was a big parade that they would have in town. And growing up, we would go walk downtown and watch the parade. As we would walk toward where the parade was, uh, I would see a police officers standing in the street in the intersection, directing traffic and directing where people should go. And once in a while, I would see someone, an adult, go up and just stand next to that officer and talk with them. And I always thought, that would be so cool. That'd be so great to know the police officer, someone in authority, and be able just to walk up and talk with them. Well, years and years later, probably even 20 years ago now, we were in Linden, and it was the time of the parade. And we went to walk downtown to the parade, and there's a police officer standing in the street directing traffic. And I look at him, and I recognize he was a classmate of mine from Dork College. So I went out to the street and I talked with him. And I said to him, this is a dream come true for me. Because I've always wanted to be able to walk up and speak to somebody in authority. And he looks at me and he says, Brad, I've always wanted to be able to go up and talk to the preacher. So I guess friends in high places has a range of meanings. We are not simply friends of the family. We don't just know somebody in authority. We are children in the family. Again, when we were in our first ministry in Phoenix, Arizona, there was a large, we had a large back, uh, back uh, yard and a big fence around that. And, and sometimes, you really couldn't see what was happening in the backyard. And sometimes the children from church after church would go and they, they would try to look through the cracks in the fence to see what is the minister's back, what's back in his backyard. And our kids would go to the gate and walk right in. They weren't friends of the family. They were family. That's what we are. Not simply friends of God. We are part of the family of God. And as family, we have certain privileges we enjoy. And one of those privileges we will enjoy this morning. We are welcome to the family meal. We are welcome to eat together. As Jesus Christ, the only eternal, natural Son of God, hosts us at the table of the Lord. And we are welcome. Not simply as friends of the family, coming in and, and sneaking a morsel. But we are welcome to take and to eat 
and to remember and to believe the work of our Father through His one and only Son by the power of the Spirit for us as children. We're not simply friends of the family. We are family ourselves. And as such, as such, it's our desire to live in a way that shows our love, our devotion to our Father. That's why he strengthens us today at his table. We might be encouraged. We might be ready, filled by the power of the Spirit to live in a way that is pleasing to him, to live as children of God. Jesus Christ is unique. He is the only eternal, natural Son of God. That does not mean we are not children. We are those who are not natural but adopted, chosen by God himself. We are those not by birth but by rebirth. The power of his spirit works in us. And we are not made simply friends. We are family. Family and welcome to all the privileges, to all the obligations as God's children. We rejoice. Children of God, that is what you are. Let's turn together in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you and praise you for the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ. We know that he is unique. He is the only begotten Son. He is eternal. He shares that with your nature. He is natural. And yet we... We also are children. Oh, thank you, O oh God, that through Jesus Christ we are adopted as sons and daughters. Through his finished work, we also receive blessings. May we, O oh God, embrace those blessings, enjoy those blessings, and in thanks to you, live in a way that brings you honor and glory and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the worship folder, we have the formulary for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. It's on page 151. You may turn there at this time. We'll read this formulary together. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the night in which he was delivered up to be crucified, the Lord Jesus instituted the sacrament of Holy Communion, saying, This do in remembrance of me. In obedience to that command, we now celebrate this memorial feast. We therefore bid all of you who have confessed your Lord and have truly examined yourselves according to the admonition of the Apostle Paul, to come in contriteness of heart and assurance of faith to commune with Christ in the partaking of this Holy Supper. As we now draw near, let us consider for what purpose the Lord has instituted his Supper, namely, that we should keep it in remembrance of him, and that he, by this sacrament, should nourish and refresh us unto eternal life. To observe this supper in remembrance of him is to proclaim our Lord's death 
until he comes again. In partaking of this supper, therefore, we remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior promised to the fathers in the Old Testament, that he is the eternal and only begotten Son of God, that he assumed our human nature in which he fulfilled for us all obedience and the righteousness of God's law, and that he bore for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished everlastingly. We remember that he was bound, that we might be loosed from our sins, that he was innocently condemned to death, that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God, that he became a curse for us to fill us with his blessing, and that he humbled himself on the cross to hell's deep agony, which wrung from him the cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That God might never forsake us. We remember also that he was buried to sanctify the grave for us, that he was raised for our justification, that he is exalted at God's right hand, and that he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. And we remember that the shedding of his blood has confirmed for us the new and eternal testament, the covenant of grace. As we thus commemorate the death of Jesus Christ, we are assured that he will truly nourish and refresh us with his crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life. This he promises in the institution of this supper, saying of the bread, this is my body. And of the wine, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many unto remission of sins. With these words, our Lord directs our faith to his perfect sacrifice, once offered on the cross, as the only ground of our salvation. He also assures us that he, by his death, has taken away our sin, the cause of our eternal death, has obtained for us the life-giving spirit, by this spirit who dwells in Christ as in the head, and in us as his members, he brings us into true communion with himself, and makes us partakers of all his riches, of life eternal, righteousness, and glory. By this same spirit, he causes us, together with all true believers, to be united as members of one body in true brotherly love. As the Holy Apostle says, seeing that we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And inasmuch as it is said to us, as often as ye eat this bread and drink the cup, ye proclaim the Lord's death till he come, we are assured by this holy supper that our Lord Jesus will come again to receive us to himself, and that we shall sit down with him and drink with him the fruit of the vine in the newness of our Father's kingdom that we may obtain these blessings. Let us implore God for his grace. Let's pray together. Merciful God and Father, whose grace abounds beyond all our sins, we pray thee that in this supper, in which we commemorate the death of thy dear Son, thou wilt so work in our hearts, we may yield ourselves ever more fully to Jesus Christ, 
May our contrite hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit be nourished and refreshed with his body and blood. Yea, with him, true God and man, the only heavenly bread, so that we may no longer live in our sins, but he in us and we in him. So confirm us in the covenant of grace, we pray, that we may not doubt that thou wilt forever be our gracious Father, nevermore imputing our sins to us, and abundantly providing us with all things necessary for body and soul as thy dear children and heirs. Grant us thy grace, that we may cheerfully take up our cross, deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all temptations and trials expect our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven, who at his coming will make our mortal bodies like his glorified body and take us to himself in eternity. Answer us, O God and merciful Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with thee and the Holy Spirit belong all praise and adoration now and evermore. Amen. As we now come to the table of the Lord, let us with heart and mouth confess our Catholic, undoubted Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let everyone say, I believe in the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. But the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From hence you shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection. 